Where must we go, we who wander this wasteland in search of our wetter wells? A lot of W's in that thing at the end. Um, Hi, this is Framerate, the show where we rate frames. I'm one of your hosts, a perfect gentleman they call Michael Swaim. And with me is a crazy schmeg who eats schlanger. That's true. (laughs) Introduce yourself. (laughs) That's so true about me. I'm Abe Epperson. Uh, I'm a tiny gentleman. As well. Well, you said you're a perfect gentleman. I'm a tiny gentleman. That's right. And we have another diminutive gentleman with us. Just could fit in your pocket and so polite. Just Uh, a little special guest. Please introduce yourself, special guest. Hi, I am John Borba. I only eat Schlinger on religious holidays. And I I am a producer of AAA video games at a first-party studio known for making games about Norse mythology and fungal zombie apocalypses. (laughs) Fungal. I like that. Zombie. Oh, that one. Okay, moving on. Uh, yeah, we, thanks for being here, Borbs, and uh, no a perfect, I think, topic for you, as people will soon come to find out. Uh, we're talking Mad Max Fury Road 2015s. It's been on the list for a long time. Excited to finally talk about it. Uh, Abe, I don't think this was not, I we owe no one a shout out, right? This one's just for us. One for them, one this for one's, us. This one's for us, baby. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, George Miller's return to the screen after, I don't know, long time, uh, Fury Road. And we usually start things off because uh, we have our guests involved in the decision-making process by asking, uh, Borb, why did you, what's, what's your relationship to Mad Max Fury Road, the Mad Max franchise, and what led you to pick that movie over all the other movies that you could have potentially picked? So... Mad Max is a film that I kind of went in blind and I'm a huge metalhead. And honestly, just like the marketing campaign was enough for me to be like, yeah, all right. All right. Let's watch some gonzo ass movie. Um, And I think coming off of, you know, Batman and stuff like that, I was really interested in seeing Tom Hardy play a role that I thought was going to be less like Bane than it was. Um, (laughs) But I, yeah, I'm a big fan of the imagery um, and I had not seen the original and I don't know that I have still seen the original Mad Max uh, films. Oh, I definitely did. But it, gosh, it's been forever, especially I don't tend to revisit Mel Gibson stuff. And yeah. <laughs> but I definitely saw him growing up because of the world building. Like my dad was very into sci-fi and world building stuff. So and that's where I got it from. But uh, aware of the original. But I think for most people our age and younger it was, it may as well have been the first Mad Max movie in many ways. I don't know a lot of people who are precious about the continuity of Mad Max, but uh, yeah, a crazy reintroduction to the world and the character. You know, obviously new actors in the roles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, yeah, I remember this blow, blew me away the first time I saw it. And I actually, it's one of those movies like, I have such a clear memory of, for some reason, random movies. I was just particularly receptive to usually good movies with unique visuals like Royal Tenenbaums. I didn't watch. I saw it in theaters and then I didn't watch it for 15 years, but I could remember every scene. And uh, similarly, I feel like so it's 2015. So seven years, not as long, but I haven't watched this. I've only watched it twice now and watching it for this. I still remembered everything. Not that it's overly complex, but man, it's a very unique novel imagery that is seared into my brain forever i have no doubt that on the day i die i'll i won't i don't know that i'll actively be thinking about it but (laughs) i'll remember mad max fury road it will be in there 
With your last breath, you'll say, Mad Max. Witness me, Furiosa. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Abe, what's your Mad Max first I mean, same vibes? deal. Yeah. I watched all of them. I grew up with Mad Max, um, and this was a welcome update, of course. It's a freaking, it's, it's my bag. You know me. I'm all about the form and style of camera and moving mm. images. And this is just an orchestra of motion and car violence. It's amazing. I don't think we have anything like it made in the last 10 years. Uh, Definitely not in the last 10 years. Maybe not in the last 20 years. It's it's spectacular. I mean, we're all gushing over here. (laughs) Let's try to make an interesting podcast. How about that? You know? For sure. I well, I have tons of interesting thoughts about I think they're interesting oh. about Mad Max. But um so you were a Road Warrior guy? Because I guess I can I could start with a question, which mm-hmm. was that first of all, I'll recap it real quick. It's so easy. We don't usually do a full synopsis, but oh, in this case, how can you not? In case you don't remember, there's this guy who barely talks, his name is Mad Max, and then there's Charlize Theron, who plays Furiosa, who works for Morton Joe, who is a despotic leader of the Wasteland. There's other despotic leaders of the Wasteland, but he's the one we care about. He has a harem of women called breeders who are kept, you know, against their will to be impregnated by Joe and his weird offspring and like whatever cadre of ghouls he has living up in the tower, hoarding all the water in this desert wasteland, which is presumably post-apocalyptic Australia. I don't know if that's explicit, but I would assume so. And, uh, um, Furiosa decides to rebel against Joe and try to save the breeders, uh, by driving the war rig, like away from there back to the green place where she comes from. Mad Max gets enslaved by Joe's forces and ends up teaming up with Furiosa. They drive all the way there only to realize the green place doesn't exist anymore. And they decide the only thing to do is drive back, kick ass, take over the fortress, kill a Morton Joe and just live there and have the water and presumably become drunk on power and corrupt. But, uh, (laughs) well, I don't, I just feel like if I look, I'm not pro a Morton Joe over here, but I do think it. If you run the water nonstop, no one knows where that water comes from. It's got to run out eventually. Uh, the tragedy of the commons. Yeah, they yes, just leave it running. They're like, rise up, let them all eat cake, and then you got no cake left. Would be my fascist argument. But anyway, hey man, you gotta um, let the spice flow. Yeah, as uh, I think the only negative I've ever heard about this movie from people is I do know quite a few people who were like, I was, which is crazy to me, because I'm really not, but they say I was bored by that movie because nothing happened. They drive away, they drive back. And uh, I do think that's interesting to talk about is the exercise in minimalism and spectacle, because it kind of comes off to me watching it through a critical lens this time. I It reminded me more than anything of a really good version of the Waterworld live stunt spectacular at Disneyland, which I went to not too long ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Where I'm like, the focus of this is the stunt work, the craftsmanship, the explosions, even the comping and the art deck and the world building, but much more than the, you know, meaning behind it's bad to hoard water. It's bad to be like a mutant with a gold nose and giant mutated feet. Like, fuck that guy. (laughs) There aren't like deep messages woven into it beyond um, might makes right or like, you know, the good rising up against the evil. But um, 
as someone who's, well, you mentioned it, uh, John, you said you are a big metalhead. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, is do you find metal's the kind of genre where you dive into it and you do care about a fine... Like, isn't metal also akin to that, where it's about spectacle, craftsmanship, and virtuosity? Yeah, versus I mean, like, I think, yeah, go I ahead. I think it has multiple facets, but I think uh, in general, when people think about metal, especially for people who like don't deep dive into it, a lot of it is about you know the packaging and the presentation rather than the messaging. <laughs> Um, and I think like one of the, the most amazing things to me about this movie is without being a comic book movie, the spectacle of what's going on and the color palette of this movie really sell it as a film more than a lot of what is going on emotionally. And I think that like it has, especially in the first third of this movie, some of the best world building I've ever seen in a film. But mm-hmm. um, I, I do think that there are times because George Miller is George Miller that um, it leans so far into that over the topness that it can be a little bit jarring and to me lose its artistic credibility in that because of how laughably over the top um, it was to me. I didn't really have that feeling on first viewing, but watching it now, I feel like pushing past the initial packaging and that shock and awe and the, the, you know, beauty of this film on first viewing, um, it, it did lose a little bit of its steam for me. It's still fantastic, but I think that especially the last third of the movie um, lost a little bit for Interesting. me. I actually think, I mean, it's very simple. It's a linear story, obviously. It's just a big chase. There's a lot that isn't going on in terms of what we have come to, like, you know, uh, we recently covered Nope on this uh, podcast, um, and it's like, uh, like, there's a lot to unpack in that, you know, this does not have complexity, mm-hmm. although it does have themes that are very like I would call them basic, but I, archetypal. Yeah, monolithic yeah. is a better word. You know, it, it discusses humanity and like currency and survival and power and cult leadership, um, and it has stuff to say about all those things. And it's kind of sneaky. Um, there's a lot that I got from the second viewing, like little things like I didn't catch the first time that they called doctors organic mechanics. Yeah, my or, favorite part. Yeah, or that uh, this time I I didn't catch because he kind of says it just real quick, which is a lot of how the world building is done in the you know first third, as you mentioned, John. Uh, it's done so quickly that you like internalize this huge offer, and you're on your on on your road to the next one, and it's like wow, there's a lot of things going on. So it's like I knew like Aquacola, you know, and stuff like that, Guzzoline, you know, like they're they, he's doing all these little world building things. But like one of my favorite ones that I uh, caught this time is uh, when Nux uh, says that his uh, he's he was planning on going to Valhalla. Um, he says, uh, McFeasting with the heroes of time. Mm-hmm. And I just like that, you know, little dig at consumerism. Well, it's also, I, it's the idea of like, remember that dragon movie where they reenact Star Wars and they pretend they came up with it and they like, they do Star Wars as a play for kids. It's that futuristic yeah. apocalypse. Oh, Rain of Fire. Fight. Rain yeah, of Fire. Yeah. Thank you. Um, 
just through the use of the word McFeasting, it implies this whole reality where the people who remember McDonald's or whatever have made McDonald's legendary in the minds of mm-hmm. the new generations who live without McDonald's. Like there's a place you could just go and you'd get the food and they'd have like nuggets. And like that's where you'll go if you sacrifice yourself. You'll get to make feast with the heroes of time. I right, agree. It reminds great. me of nothing more than Clockwork Orange, honestly, which is like yeah was renowned at the time for throwing you into the deep end with just this is how they talk in the future, I guess. And you have to figure it out through context clues. But it's not just the language. Uh, one I liked this time was Kama Crazies, which I <laughs> didn't realize everyone was like corrupting that word uh, to describe the half-lifes, I guess they're called. And yeah, because so everyone's radiated. Yeah, you know? but through those, not just words, but also through a large part through the production design, um, I found speaking of like, I don't know, like when we would dissect, if we were to dissect a game like half-life, I, it's kind of the same maneuver there. There's so much wallpaper and production design and art deck that is also world building, uh, that it truly becomes what I would call magical realism rather than, cause to me, fantasy almost carries with right. it tropes, uh, like the baggage of particular tropes. Oh, fantasy. I mean, there will be elves there. And sci-fi kind of has this, oh, there will be lasers. And it's like, I, I love, my favorite is magical realism, which is this, which is like, it's just, I, it's weird stuff that doesn't exist that you've never seen before. And it's so rare that someone can actually present that. So I do value that skill very much. And I found that even more thought went into it than I assumed the first time. Like the mm-hmm. fact that each pair of half-lives has like a lancer and a driver and the driver is assigned by this giant Christmas tree of steering wheels that are detachable and it's associated with a particular, like you can figure out the social hierarchy of the post-apocalyptic universe. If you care to think about it so just quickly and easily, layout. just yeah. based on the layout of the stuff they're showing you, which is very mm-hmm. comic book. Like uh Borb is totally right about that. <clears throat> Inescapable. Well, and- and even just the like giant set pieces at the beginning of this movie really stress the 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 enormous gap between the people at the top and the people at the bottom and who has to lower themselves to be a servant of a Morton Joe. Like mm-hmm. the entire structure of that society up on this enormous cliff, you know, lowering themselves down in these vehicles that are pieced together from a society that doesn't exist. Even looking at the rig, like it's representative of storytelling of the entire world um the vehicles that are designed in this and the way that they're constructed um looking at you know how the world has evolved the drummer of an army into this guitar playing demon who's strung up like everything is consistent and everything feels like it is emergent from the world that they developed going back, you know, and so many questions are posed that that's really what effective world building is to me is that you give me enough things where I'm like, holy shit, how did that happen? Where did you get to that point? And just giving little hints at that is how you really, you know, sell great world building. Like the guitarist on first blush to me seemed like a hat on a hat. But now I actually buy it. I'm like, no, it's like because uh, it's almost in Magic the Gathering, you would have goblin hordes and you'd have cards that were, you know, goblin drummer. And it made me realize, make the connection that I didn't make before of like, oh, yeah, like a drummer boy, like a herald, like a bugler. Uh, he's keeping he, he's like his only job. This eyeless Voldemort freak is to keep the, you know, the Klingon battle rage going like the berserker frenzy going. 
It totally works. This time around, I actually got a little bit more meaning from something that I didn't really pick up because I was just kind of uh, earlier from my first viewing, like uh, just it washed over me Long because for the ride, I wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, it was along for the ride and is also not really looking at in context of the first like the first four films. And it was just like, OK, so. What's different about this? How is it? How is it actually an update? And one of the things that I found that I thought was actually pretty cool was that like um, he does something. Miller does something in the story with names. If you look back at like Thunderdome, you look back at, you know, Road Warrior, Road Warrior and Mad yeah. Max too. like you, you get like. <clears throat> Everyone is a master blaster. Yes, we have Doof Warriors here, but everyone is like a name, right? There's Max, there's, you know, like there's heroes. And the story is about the heroes. It's very classic in its design. It's a movie about the masses being controlled by these Immortan Joes, you know, these Furiosas. Um, People these eaters. Fig- <laughs> these like Greek kind of like equivalent of Greek gods. Um and this movie is got that because that's part of the world building, but it's so much more than that in this movie. Names mean different things. And the fact the movie is kind of doing this thing where it's saying that power is dictated by the name, like Morden and Furiosa and even Max initially, um, they have they they are kind of cogs of the system or i should say that immortan isn't really a cog of the system but the nameless characters um the people who are not really who are usually referenced as a group like the breeders nux has a name but he's also a war boy you know um and you gather some of the readers names like splendid is one of their names but uh but, a lot yeah, of them they are become important over, because yeah. i think names fall like power is followed by names like they're more powerful they get names mm. and that's usually just true about you know hero myths but this movie is about those pe- the, the nameless groups like electing a person or having someone or someone who's representing that group taking that power and we taught we noticed how like precious names are in this movie if you if you remember one uh, one of the biggest beats in the movie between furiosa and uh max is him just saying his name to her um because she asked max, earlier my name is max. uh and i think joe kind of gets this you know like he calls them like you mentioned like splendid or fragile or the dag is my favorite one <laughs> the dag, uh yeah. And and in a way that that's a kind of a false identity because I think he gave them the, those names, mm-hmm. but it just shows how in this universe even a name marks power, and this movie is very much about a power upset, and it's about you know power to the lower class so to speak, and that is not untrue of the first movies, but it's more of Max. Max is never a main character. Um, he's always kind of auxiliary to someone else's story. He's the loner who gets uh, involved begrudgingly, yeah. And he always, but he's always the one who does like the the big, usually sacrificial kind of does the right thing attempts. Can't not right. Mm-hmm. And we don't get that in this movie. He's a part of for he's there for the ride. He's a main lieutenant of you know this revolution. But I would argue that uh, Nux is the the protagonist because he's the one who changes over the story, right? He's the one who starts off as a zealot and then he ends up 
understanding, oh, there's, I, I realize now that human life matters. And then he slowly realizes that, oh, and sometimes there's a benefit to sharing. There's a benefit to someone who is kind to me instead of yeah. indoctrinating me into the system. He grows to, and then he determines that he needs to sacrifice himself. So it's like, it really is a different breed of Mad Max film. I technically agree. Or I mean like, yeah, your movie mouth's all correct. Cause Max doesn't want to get involved. Doesn't want to get involved. Decides he does have to help helps a little, but doesn't do the main, like it's not really him that overthrows the society. It's Furiosa. And then, uh, fades into the crowd. Furiosa right. is like, Immortan Joe sucks. Immortan Joe sucks. Learns that she can't go home again, but really stays on the path of, okay, then fuck Immortan Joe. Immortan Joe sucks. Um, right. and what's, I guess I'll say, or the reason I went, yeah, is because I think you're right that Nux is the main character. And that highlights what I actually thought was the one thing that sort of lost its luster for me this time is, uh, I think the least viable thing in the movie, and maybe I'm just bringing too much realism to bear, but is that a zealot raised in a fascistic cult from birth <laughs> like it's it's so quick i just don't think we explore and it could have been so ripe and interesting one of your favorite movies is brazil dude <laughs> you know like uh, like i feel like it's the same thing i guess it's maybe because it's that magical realism bent because it's they're so simplistic they're little ants basically i buy jonathan price chafing against the reality of his situation i guess more than i buy Nux seeing that breeder and just being like dream weaver and like love <laughs> has made me decide I hate my society that I loved a second ago only because like he's like Jonathan Price is just trying to survive. He is a cog in the machine. Uh, Nux like his greatest desire is to die for a Morton Joe. It just seems yeah. quick that he goes to like, now I will overthrow a Morton Joe and betray my whole well, what's, society. What's the saying? You work long enough in a glass factory and one day you want to pick up a hammer. I think it just, ha it's a switch. He realized that he was being abused his whole life and he became angry. Yeah, I just I don't see enough of a triggering event to outweigh the other side of that. I think I agree with with Swaim on this one. But I, I would say that in my opinion, I think Max has more more of a turnover and more agency in this story because I mean he is the one that pulls Furiosa back from the plan that she had. She offers him this alternative future and he comes to her and says, No, this is not what you want. This is not a reality that can be sustained. You're all going to kill yourself chasing this dream. And the only option for you is to go back, continue this fight and die or win. And I think that that you know, to me, saying Nux is the, the protagonist is like saying that Barley from the movie Onward is the protagonist. To me, he is a vehicle for everyone else around him to pivot, which is in a lot of ways what a protagonist is. But Furiosa, you know, she doesn't make that decision without Max. Nobody does. That, the story doesn't turn over and end without Max there to be that linchpin of the story. And I don't think that she makes some of the decisions that she ultimately makes, you know, continuing on after uh, one of the breeders goes under Morton Joe's wheel without Max there, without the influence of seeing him yeah, as a pillar. No, I mean, it's not clear cut. I'm just saying like, and I'm using a very, I would probably say outdated. I mean, I am a 
uh, like I like film history. I like story books about story. Mm-hmm. Uh, our definition, I think, of protagonist and main characters has altered over the years. Well, yeah. Those are two different For things sure. as well, or at least the way I learned it, and it can change. Heroes yeah. also don't need to be protagonists, um, but um, the one of the one of the the def- definition I guess I'm using is who changes over the film. Um, and that is like a definition of a protagonist. Yeah. But Although it's not the I, that only does one. highlight something I wanted to ask about Max, because you seem to have the previous movies in your brain a little more. Does anyone know if, because technically Max's arc, which I agree with, is a, a very little change, but it is, but it is change, right? Is the Three Kings arc, which is he starts by thinking he's been hurt too many times. He will never put his neck out on the line again ever for anyone, even though he is at heart a good guy. And then mm-hmm. it happens again and he goes, all right, I will. And he puts his neck on the line for the cause of good. Um, and he keeps saying that he's haunted and he keeps seeing flashes of a particular girl. Is that his daughter mm-hmm. or that's someone from the previous films, right? Who, who died that he let down? That's glory. Okay. Um, and that's like a girl he was, he tried to save and just couldn't. Uh, she died. His, okay. Yeah. And some internet sleuths found that out because, uh, in fury road, glory gets killed by like huge cars. Um, Mad Max daughter died in the same way. Uh, which is why I think glory is so, she was a surrogate daughter to him. Okay. But she died by a motorcycle gang before the events of the first movie. So Okay, gotcha. Uh, so it's 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 kind of like it's he's gone he's going mad and it's basically his daughter. It might as well be. You know what I mean? Because yeah, and I he's do think it, mixing it all up. That's an interesting primal theme or it's like uh we cover a lot of random crap on our network john so we recently covered the harlan ellison short story i have no mouth and i must scream uh and i think they're interesting comparisons and that ultimately they're both a meditation on in the extremes of desperation when survival when it's like a zero-sum game and i can survive but it will have to be at the cost of other innocent people uh it's the defiant statement that you know uh, you know like there's a spark of nobility in humanity that actually would will rise and like show itself when you'd least expect it. Cause really in this situation, right? They're so desperate. It seems like it would just fall apart and there would be no good people left. And I do think ultimately it's trying to be uplifting or, and Max is an inspiring figure in the way of like, uh, the man with no name, but even a little bit more benevolent. I feel like he does feel the call to action and the call to like, protect the innocent. And I think it's almost even yes. more striking that it's against a backdrop of no offense, Australians listening, but like, yeah, I don't even know how the fuck these people survive here. Like look around. <laughs> it looks like nothing. It's like the matrix and you deleted everything. There's just nothing there. Uh, what's the deal with those stilt guys? It's the only piece of world building. I don't understand. Explain it to me. Someone wait, the stilt guys. Do you mean the guys flying on the guys who walk on all fours and they're in like ghillie suits in the swamp oh. area? Fuck the vino, man. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> like awesome. I was wondering if there was a throwaway line that explained how they work and everything, because you know, in this movie, there could be. I'm sure someone, because uh, there's like, I, I'm so bad at this because there's comics and stuff, and there's a whole extended Expanded universes. Universe, yeah. I'm sure. So someone in the comments can chime in on this, but I just thought it. Yeah, I think that 
it it seems like they're scavengers and they're trying to I don't know suck up the juices. But like somehow just walk. With those stilts. <laughs> it's not that. I mean, my, my my only question would be like that's supposed to be what the green was, and I don't know if that's actually survivors from that culture that Furiosa knew. But mm. to me, that was the most comic booky part of the movie. Like if you look at the explosions in that part of the movie, they're almost posterized. They're in like layered color. Um, there's just so many things about that part of the movie that stood out as like, this is the section where they really went balls to the wall with this sort of aesthetic. Um, but to me, the other thing that was, uh, that was sort of wild about that whole area was, I mean, to me, the, the ghillie suit people felt like Boba Fett. Like they were there to look cool and be interesting. Right. And I don't know if there was really more intention than that. And then people were like, holy shit, those dudes are awesome. Show me more of that. Um, but I don't know that there, I don't feel like there was much more weight to them than that. And now Disney Plus has announced an entire series about the still guys. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> we just follow one of those. They have their own cars, by the way. And they're very <laughs> and they weird. walk on stilts instead of the, using tire the cars technology. do not have wheels. Yeah, it did. It's funny how much this whole thing is called almost like adult wacky racers, <laughs> like just yeah. themed cars chasing each other in a straight line, deploying like yeah. uh, gadgets to get at each other. Um, Pretty sweet, but with an intense attention to detail. That's why I thought maybe there is a whole story behind behind the stilt guys, because I it does reward close viewing. Like I this time I noticed and thought it was really neat that Joe and all his sons ha breathe through tubes. So it's like they don't even get just get better water than you. They don't have to breathe the shitty air like their whole lives. They <laughs> breathe recycled oxygen tank air. Uh, I think stuff like that is really cool. Like if I were writing a post-apocalyptic wasteland story and I thought of, oh, the evil dictator always breathes through an oxygen tank just to have just to flex that much more. I would be very proud of myself for the day. I feel like that mm -hmm. is an amazing affectation compared to General Grievous, a wheezing robot. I'm like, this is better. Uh, by the way, I just found on the wiki, they're called crow fishers or sky fishermen, mm -hmm. unofficially called bog walkers or stilt walkers. Nice. Um, and yeah, because they're in the, they're where, the, that's where the green place used to be. It is not explained what, what they're there, but they're hunting sure. for crows. Uh, and oh, they, they have kites crow. and fishing nets. Um but that's all we know about them. There's no backstory, they said. Somebody should tell them about guns. I um, know, right? <laughs> Rifles, yeah. I, I, one of the things we didn't talk about, but you did mention a little bit, Abe, is I, I feel like capitalism is a pretty big uh Mm -hmm. you know storytelling pin of this story as well you see people in power that are using resources to amass more power and then even like it, taking on almost religious uh undertones and and societal structure to amass more power and i mean the war boys treat a morton joe like a god and right. all he really has is water um the other thing that this movie to me was really built on was was gender roles the only yeah the only women in this movie who are not immediately at the disposal of a Morton joe are people who are down at the bottom of that cliff begging for water and furiosa and i think whatever that eventual furiosa movie is I really hope that it explains to me why she is the one female in this entire story who was not at the direct, like, physical like how'd you become service. Imperator. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And she is, I mean, I don't know. It's the eye patch of sci-fi, but it's the mechanical arm. <laughs> She's just so badass. She really yeah, is. Yeah. It's a good ass mechanical arm as mechanical arms go, which I do think are kind of a hack. It's one of the least novel things in the movie is that she has a mechanical arm, but it's a good mechanical arm. <laughs> I mean, she's like, uh, she's like Master Blaster, you know, like uh, she's yeah. one of the lieutenants. Uh, it's because she's now badass. some of the old ones are flooding back to me. Yeah, like the razor blade boomerang. I remember this now. Mm-hmm. I remember this film mm-hmm. uh, and siphoning the gas, which they do a great. I mean, this is the best. I feel I feel like they've done siphoning gas with their mouths a few times in this franchise, but you can't beat a race where you are. So that's the other thing I appreciated this time that it really does hold up is uh, not just the chase, the car choreography, because, of course, everyone's like, it's amazing how much they did practically bungee jumping around while cars explode in the desert. That's crazy. But I think equally inventive, and in a way, I always appreciate this, like uh, Kung Fu Panda has this, I would give the same compliment to, is and all Jackie Chan, Jackie Chan's the master of this, in their fight scenes, there are systems And I mean, not the car fight scenes, but the fight fight scenes like the idea. I paused it and (laughs) I watched this with my mom and stepdad and I paused it and turned to them. And I'm like, right now they're fighting chained together and they both have different targets to deal with. And there's a clear understanding in our heads that he needs this item and he needs this item. And the only way they'll win is to combine the items because the clip from the gun flies away. And I'm like, mm. can you imagine choreographing that fight and balancing all those pieces in your head? That's like Ip Man level. That's I really appreciate it in, uh, on this viewing that S- screen direction matters, man. I actually yeah. have one for you that this one, because I was reading into it. And uh, reading an interview with the the cinematographer, and he was like, "I he George Miller would tell me to do this particular thing with the composition of the shot, and he's like, I am not used to it. It's it's weird, and it's uh, basically it's a little game that you can play when you go home and watch uh, you know Fury Road, everybody listeners, mm-hmm. uh, if during the action scenes." Who we're following or like Michael said, you know, the clip or whatever the game is, like whatever the point of the shot is or the point of this. Oh, no, the rope shots. is fraying. Oh, no, he needs yeah, that exactly, fire. Exactly. Oh, no, whatever. Or it's yeah. just like, oh, it's this person versus this person. Yeah. It's, it's all that stuff. It's always center punched, like directly in the center. That way you you only have to look center. You don't have to look anywhere to scan where you're supposed to look while it quickly cuts. So you never miss who you're following or what you're following. And it's a great way to do chaotic action sequences because it's clear to the viewer uh, who doesn't have to dart around the frame uh, for the first split second. It's simple and it's something George Miller understands and he was like, very he stuck to it and i think it's why all of these action sequences on top of the uh, absolute you know virtuosity that we're seeing in terms of like you know the explosions and the cars Mm. and the set deck and all that stuff Uh, it's just one of the simple you know director rules that if you just do that people are just going to enjoy themselves because they just fall into the movie yeah it reminded me of the kind of respect we give to john wick now and rightly so but uh, I forgot deal, how yeah. I forgot how good the terrestrial fight scenes are in this as well, uh, and how yeah. good the math the fight math of like, 
oh, now we're in a race of blowing gas into the intake manifold. Who can do that more efficiently? <laughs> like they set up great systems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really want to know great. what that silver spray paint tastes like. <laughs> I'm just throwing stuff yeah. out. Is it a, uh, it gets them high, right? I would assume it that- gets you high. Yeah. When you die. Okay. And I, I also think you only get assigned one for life, right? Like Nux gets two and that's a big deal. Cause he gets another guy. Another, he does it once. Cause he thinks he's going to die. And then, and then he does Joe it. gives him. Oh, interesting. And he's born again in that sense. That is kind of cool. Mm, um, nice. But yeah, when I don't know, let's talk about looking at the clock. I'm like, okay, we can, you want to talk about some of the stuff where the shine came off over time, watching it a second time. Um, only in so far as like, I don't know, I'm looking at my notes and there was stuff that I thought was, let's say efficient to the point of <laughs> um, showing the seams. Like when yeah, a character yeah. says, I guess I'm just looking for hope. And what about you? What are you looking for? Redemption. And I'm like, okay, well, let's just all say our character motivation then. Let's just all explain our deal. (laughs) That was, that was one of my notes was that people say what is going on in this movie so much that it bothers me. Like people are just describing either what just happened or what is currently happening. It happens like five or six times in the movies where I was like, I don't need this. I'm watching. Yeah. Everything is like, like Abe said, everything is center screen. I'm not looking around for what's going on. It's not complicated. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I'll it's, fight for it. It's an action. <laughs> well, it's an action thing, right? They don't care about that. So they just yeah. want to get it done ASAP and get back to the chase, which I understand. Um, I also noticed, but thought it was kind of dumb that the many mothers, which is the culture that run the green place, all their names are V dash something <laughs> like I get it. It's a female society. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just oh, seems yeah. on the nose. A lot of these because the little thing, the 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 symbol of uh, Morden Joe is to make a V with your hands. And I was reading that that's because they their god is the V8 engine. Um, oh, okay, mm-hmm. that's cool. Did did you? Does anyone understand the importance of milk, or did they just think you know milk? It's a nutritional liquid. They would hoard it. I don't I know. Think so okay, because <laughs> they just I don't know. Yeah, they have the like a whole cadre of like BBWs whose only job is to produce milk, and the only real world building we get around it is that Rick just takes tests it and says moo as if to approve the milk like yeah, yeah. this, well, this is very moo there was another point where they they where max asks what is coming out of the thing and they say that it's milk and then he washes uh, the blood and, off his face with it yeah, yeah yes <laughs> and i was like why are they bringing this with them i understand nothing of what is going on yeah i don't get the milk economy i also feel like in that hot desert sun the milk on his face would like dry into Whoa. a film and curdle. But whatever. Cake up, yeah. cake up mother's milk. Yeah. Also like, I mean, we see like six, seven mothers, uh, mm-hmm. milk mothers, I guess. Mommy milkers. Yeah. Mommy, uh, mommy milkers. But Christ, the thing is, they're filling vats with this shit. That's right. And it's, and it's not going bad. They're sure and they don't have the AC it. cooling. It's not like state-of-the-art technology. It's just in a steel drum. So where are the like either there's thousands of mothers yeah. and they're just behind a wall somewhere, or 
the just very prolific mothers. <laughs> yeah. Hey, salute to all you milk-given mothers out there. Yeah. Keep the economy <laughs> rolling. Uh, does did anyone ever catch the name of the bullet farm leader? I f- I figured out that the leader of Oil Gas Town is I did. the people eater. What's the bullet farm guy who goes You're blind? You're never gonna guess it, dude. Bullet. You know what his name is? Bullet man. The bullet farmer. The bullet farmer. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Not they fucking nailing it. Eating. After after the whole speech, you were like, names are important. <laughs> yeah. so, that, exactly, because he's bullshit. He's throwaway. That's what I'm saying. Man. He, I don't know he's that whole that whole scene where he gets his eyes blown off and like Max looks like such a badass and he buys time for everyone else and it seems like maybe he won't come back. The whole payoff for that is like him annihilating or mm-hmm. dealing with this dude and then blowing him up and now to find out that guy's name in the movie is just the bullet farmer <laughs> yeah really. he's the bullet farmer baby <laughs> yeah. i mean it's a movie where nathan jones the wrestler slash son of Morton joe uh his name in this movie is rictus erectus mm-hmm. <laughs> rictus erectus baby and right before he dies he lifts the engine up and yells his own name which is pretty <laughs> yeah. cool I mean, that's pretty cool. I, yeah. Also, weirdly, I was weirdly touched in an uncanny valley way when he, it's like, oh, you simple, violent giant. <laughs> like, oh, when he brother. goes, my baby, bro- I had a baby brother and he was perfect. And you're like, it reminds me of those Aquid <laughs> comics. What's the saddest thing? Liebot. Uh, it's a, an adult a man with a learning disability telling a broken egg that there'll be a chicken and they're going to play someday. <laughs> like, it had those vibes. <laughs> it's a little, it's, it's a little girl uh, standing out by the road and she turns to look back at her house and it's her parents who shut who who put out a little suitcase for her and, and shut, shut the, the door, door. yeah <laughs> what's the saddest uh, thing yeah um, it's it's really sad i mean it's he's so dumb they're just dumb they're unabashedly drinking gasoline dumb. you know yeah um but in a way that really shows a lot of care and attention it reminds me of it frankly it has the sense of whimsy, but also obsession over the world building detail of like a good D&D campaign. It feels like right. a fun DM is trying hard. Uh, and I yeah. always yep. appreciate that. Agreed. And it, it, it does seem like parts of this script, like, uh, so I read a thing earlier that was saying that, uh, that, that George Miller spent 138 days for one shot in this movie. And that blows my mind because there are points where I feel like it's just a DM sitting at a table being like, and then the bullet farm shows up. And by the way, it was the shot of that naked lady in the cage dancing as bait. Yeah. He was just like, let's keep rolling. Still don't have it. I'm George Miller, 77 years old. Amazing in a completely depopulated wasteland that that's there. He's that a- you hang out all day naked in a cage hoping someone will come fall for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what a life, you know. Yeah. George Miller's world, you old pervert. Like who's forging the chastity belts with skulls and vaginal teeth because that's not from the old world and it's crafted. (laughs) It was like forged in a crucible. Someone is making those. I love thinking about the world. That's the organic (laughs) mechanic on his downtime. Yeah. That's probably just a leather daddy. Yeah. 
that's probably true. <laughs> oh, and this time I noticed they say it's it's a it's a toss up, right? It just depends how it hits you. Some stuff seems dumb, some stuff seems cool. Like it's cool mm-hmm. to me that they say, "Are you a Black Thumb?" and he says, "Yes," and they go back to repair the engine. And I'm like, "Okay, so I guess Black Thumb because you get oil on your yeah." It's like right. being good, a Green Thumb, but with engines. And then someone later says they call bullets the anti-seed. Plant one and watch something die. And I'm like, that's stupid. That's fucking stupid. So <laughs> yes, yes. It's, yes. it's always that's, a toss-up. It's, it's like a it's coin a toss-up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, kinda, I mean, you have to. Mm-hmm. You one to place where where the uh, watching it this time didn't really it felt unearned was Furiosa's immediate turn on figuring out that the green wasn't real. Like there's no point where she's like, no, it can't like she just immediately accepts it and is like hugely dramatic music as she like crumbles to the ground. And I was like, this this is is bad comic book bad. Oh yeah. Is I, this moment. We all laughed when she fell to her knees and screamed, no. <laughs> I forgot it was that on the nose. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can't really do that maneuver anymore without citing every time anyone's ever done it and Mm -hmm. they're always bad so you just immediately your brain goes to this is silly i did like uh the version we just covered darjeeling limited as well and the guy passing out from grief is a good reinvention of that because he disappears under the water so you know what i mean (laughs) you're like Mm -hmm. you don't have to see him fall to his knees because he just falls below the water right Anyway, yeah. yeah, filmmakers listening to this, reinvent the falling to your knee. Because that's interesting because I there is there are moments of shock and grief powerful enough to cause you to crumble and collapse. Like it's a valid maneuver in life, but mm-hmm. uh you just can't it's interesting that you cannot have someone scream no. It sucks so hard when you whenever you do that without reinventing it. Uh, and I feel like it wouldn't be that bad if there was a point where she like tried to grab for anything or just hold on to denial or, you know, anything that humanized that moment more than just being like, oh, no. And then acceptance like there is no oh, sure. human aspect there for me. And that's what really broke me in that moment is I was just like, oh, my God, you just went straight for the cheese ball moment. Um, I will say the thing that bothered me the most, and I know that uh, I will probably get a lot of grief about this, and this is how the way that a Mad Max movie is supposed to end, but Max, leave, the whole beginning of the movie was him like biting the head off a two-headed lizard and being like, survival, that's the only instinct I have left, it's all, all that I am anymore, and then he's like, I've created this wonderful land of water and plants and I can survive here forever. I'm leaving. That's the point where I was yeah. like, oh, and it's what? like, I guess your thing it's... is being a loner then, isn't it? Not survival. <laughs> yes, yeah. 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 Yes. Because it would be very e- much easier to survive here. You're, yes. You have an inn with Furiosa. Who is now the could, king of this like, town. You could you fucking have all the water. Yeah. As much moon <laughs> yeah. as you need. The bullet farmer's yeah. dead. Like, you could take over the other two civilizations so easily now. <laughs> um, process your trauma. Like, form new relationships. Mm-hmm. But that's the problem with uh, on our sister Men network. Men in therapy. Employed. No, it's like, well, it's like Dave Bell always says about Batman, right? Like, the Batman, the most recent Batman, would have been almost a perfect Batman movie if it ended with him stopping being Batman. Because the whole arc is him realizing that being Batman causes problems and summons the specter of darkness, but you mm-hmm. can't 
he can't quit. He's got he's got a contract. <laughs> and I feel you know like why, you know why, Mike, though, <laughs> mm-hmm. because you can't stop Batman and you can't stop Mad Max. I do think Miller thinks of Mad Max as a James Bond or like, you know, especially sure, now that it, yeah. now that the actor torch has been passed, it's clear that I believe we will have Mad Max movies after George Miller passes. Probably. I think it's. A, yeah. Officially and I think we'll get Tom Hardy. He was on the hook for three yeah. Mad Max movies in 2015. And weirdly enough, you know, he's watching Batman because the person he wanted originally to be Mad Max was Heath Ledger. <laughs> and then he took right. the next Batman film. Yeah, yeah, he was definitely in there. But I think Hardy kills it. Like something about that little thumbs up he gives to Splendid for like, hey, you didn't die. Uh, when like she almost gets like swiped by a rock uh, when she's uh, on the side of the car. Yeah. Uh, the and then she projection. dies immediately after. But like that little thumbs up, it's like that is an update and better than Mel Gibson because it's mm-hmm. like it's more detached, but also shows like a vulnerability and how friendly he is to her. Like they haven't had an interaction other than him pointing a gun at her. But now that he's on their side, he's like, all right, you, good, good job. <laughs> and just that little bit is like perfectly maxed to me. Um, yeah. I don't know. I really like, I, I thought Tom Hardy did a great job. Well, and he is, he's very good at being that like stoic, hardly talks, grumpy, big right, brute of a dude. Yeah. It's, that's kind of Tom, who Tom Hardy is. It seems like um, yeah. But I, I feel like he really, he sold that role really well. I mean, to me, I thought he was the linchpin of the movie, not just uh, plot wise, but acting like everyone kind of filled in the gaps around him and gave the character that movie. But he was really the spine of it. Right. He he causes all the the change to happen. He's just he's a catalyst. Right. Like so. Anytime well, Charlie Theron, yeah, in contrast exactly. to him, is so good. That's why it's a Western, you know, like it, like when you look at these things like, um, you know, Fistful of Dollars. It is structured whatnot, like a Western. Totally. Yeah. It yep. is yep. truly based on the inner politics of the town. You know, the you know, the right hand of this guy. Yeah. Over the lieutenant of this guy, the undertaker, mm-hmm. this guy. You know, they all have all these politics that make it complex. You just need someone to light this powder keg. That's all Max really serves as a function. So he's a very simplistic kind of uh figure it's furiosa and uh, nux who really are the interesting parts of the movie i also love that his first line not counting the vo the monologue he does about survival uh the first line he actually speaks with his mouth on camera is just water and you're like yeah that's the topic of the film (laughs) good good maneuver i like that as a thesis statement um yeah And I'll go, I'll say something that I'm sure I'll get crap for online, which is for me, the way that the house of cards is built or the dominoes are laid such that the pressure actually is on Nux and you care about him in that moment. Like, and this is true of star Wars too, but what I'm getting at is the actual beat when Nux does sacrifice himself and the war rig blows up and there's a huge explosion and Rictus dies and the electric guitar bungees at the camera for my money, that is as iconic as the Death Star exploding. Like, I really think it's an yeah. incredible postcard of uh, we did it. The powder keg is lit. Boom, Very boom. Cool. Also reminded me of like the quick and the dead when the whole town explodes. It's really like one of the great we've ramped up this far. Here comes the finale fireworks moments of film. It, it's really well. Yeah. Done. It's uh, I mean, it's there's like 
two or three sequences that are just like perfect um in terms of the action you know one of the one of the big ones is uh the dust storm i mean that thing is oh i think that's the sequence of the film or that's like the i remember that shot when it gets enveloped in yellow i remember being in the theater and thinking at that moment this is like nothing i've ever seen before oh my god what a glorious day yeah it's uh it it definitely they knew it was their set piece um and the amount of work that went into it, one of the coolest things that I learned, because I read a, a, the a interview with the VFX artists that developed that sequence, mm-hmm. is that like basically <clears throat> something that isn't typically done, but Miller shows how Miller works, because he before he wrote the script, he storyboarded the entire movie. And his mm-hmm. storyboards were fantastically detailed. And so he's super prepared... Um, so it much essentially like is a comic Brothers. book movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the things that so he worked with a so the way for VFX workflow is he'll work with a concept artist, and he he's already shot the plates, and plates are the live action footage, and so he has it to get together, and he's actually got it cut together already, and he's outsourced um, basic positions and. Um, like, all right, there's a twister here, there's a twister there, there's a dust cloud there. In this shot, there, like in the back, there's a lightning strike there. All that stuff has been thought by Miller already, and he puts it in with a concept artist, kind of overlaid on top, like real basic rough in. And so the VFX studio knew to just like, okay, so we just have to place those things in and it really it was the sequence that they had to work the longest and the hardest on uh even though it's fairly short actually but um all that stuff was done uh just because george miller knew exactly what he wanted and i you know just i'm working in film and just knowing how you know this huge vehicle moves it's stuff like that that makes this movie great because Miller had just he he's a genius and he he made his vision very clear to everyone else uh, and you can't you can't replace that yeah just know? thinking about it from the point of view of I know this isn't like the sexy lens to view it from but it isn't the craftsmanship like that he can work with and speak the language of and know understand the technical aspects of every department that was involved in you know what I mean that <laughs> he like he can talk yeah. to the uh, the welders, he knows his explosions. He knows what he knows how things are going to affect the comp. He knows you have to be such a well-rounded craftsman and technician to make a film Safety, like this. Yeah, you know, it right. was uh, well known for doing incredible stunts and being safe all the the whole time. And it's just like there's no way you can uh, there's no way you can do that. Yeah, how, how the hell did you shoot this? Um, you know, like it, it doesn't seem possible um, in some instances, but it's because it's just meticulously thought out. Yeah, he's he's something else. Even the fact that like which I barely noticed the first time and in the calm of seeing it the second time was able to go, oh, that, that is an arc um, that he's a universal donor becomes important by the end because he's a blood bag <laughs> for Charlie. So, yeah. Like, yeah, it hits it checks all the shit. Although I also thought it was funny that one of the many mothers says she's exsanguinated. 
drained of all her blood. <laughs> it's like, thanks for the thesaurus uh, check-in. <laughs> hey, not Grandma. everyone's a word, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, but so why say exsanguinated? Just say she's drained She's drained of all her blood. Because it sounds hella cool. <laughs> she's exsanguinated. No, you're right. Drained of all you're her right. blood. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's another one of those moments where they just said what was obviously and happening. Went one step too far. That's right. Um, because they're like, look, we're throwing a lot of whirling colors and shit at these people. We need to check in and explain what's happening. I get the impulse, but I just didn't need it. Yeah, yeah, I, I see where uh, like it's it's simplicity. I mean, yeah. we uh, we also covered Mad God uh, mm-hmm. f- recently, and uh, that. It, it shares some resemblance to that because Mad God is the Phil Tippett um, a d- dinosaur supervisor, like worked on a film by himself, basically, even though it's not true. But I mean, like it took him like 30 years and uh, it's just all amazing stop motion. Um, and it's just like the script is nothing whatever yeah yeah even the concepts at play everything it's just like whatever it's because that's that's what we're here for if you're Mm -hmm. gonna watch a if you're gonna watch a slasher movie you're not watching a you're not hoping to you know get a critique on consumerism um even though there is it exists in this movie he tries you know and the only reason i think it's worth discussing is um there are films that accomplish all of the above and it is mm-hmm. possible. So I do think it's important to keep that slot open and celebrate it when it truly happens. You don't need that in every film. And I don't think this film prioritize, but I'll just, like, I do genuinely think a version where Nux's transition from one worldview to another is explored slightly more and has a little more nuance to it and a little more time spent on it. Like I could see a version of Mad Max Fury Road where I think it's badass and I wept. I don't weep when I watch this. I just think it's badass. Um, So, yeah, I think both can be accomplished. You don't have to. And George, I don't think George Miller was necessarily trying to. It feels more like Dread, where it's like the action is the point and we checked all the boxes. The plot is good. We just don't dwell on the plot. Like we just navigate it efficiently till the end. Yeah. No, that's... I mean, that's what I think they set it up to do. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of navigating things efficiently to the end, we're coming up on an hour. Do people have any <laughs> final thoughts on Mad Max Fury Road? I definitely have fun um, discussing um, it. You go, John. Guest prerogative. I just, I just found out a, I found out a weird fact when I was looking up stuff for this movie uh, before we watch it, which is that Immortan Joe is actually the uh, villain toe cutter from the first Mad Max movie mm. with a with a bunch of makeup and stuff on, which I thought was pretty cool um, and full circle for mm. George Miller. But in fact, yeah, they, mean, uh, I, when, when he's having one of his flashbacks, they cut to a shot of eyes popping out and that's uh, his death in the previous. That's movie. toe cutters death. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, nice. Nice. Um, and I mean, to me, to me, the, the most fulfilling thing would be if if uh, the biggest question that i had coming out of that movie is why is furiosa important i know why she's important to this story but that's the thing that you know i wish this movie would have thrown some sort of hint to um and then that's the thing that i probably missed the most as i was like you gave me this character and so much promise on this character and i still don't understand why where what trust did she get from a morton joe that nobody else got right yeah, I think we're going to get that with uh, 2024's Furiosa. Is it a prequel? Uh, it's, the or- 
It's a prequel. It's an origin story. Yeah. And yeah. it's, uh, it's, she will be played by Anya Taylor joy. Oh, and I believe there's a Chris Hemsworth in it as well. <laughs> Doing some fucking chess in the desert. Yeah. Fucking with with his, He's just going to be shown his abs. Mm-hmm. He's going to be ab man. Well, the only lingering question I had at the end of this movie was how come when Furiosa hooks Joe's mask and rips his face off, she says, remember me? Of course that he does. One... It's been like 12 hours yeah. since you talked. Yeah. He just saw You're like you. My main, You're my like main person. employee. Yeah. <laughs> I yes, thought there could have been a way cooler. <laughs> yeah. There could have been a, like, you could make a pun on mm-hmm. the mouth guard. You could. S- sorry, I deserted you. Something like yeah. that. Something. I mean, <laughs> like, I desert. don't like, give me like uh, a half hour and I'll think off. of something. Yeah, I'll think of something. <laughs> face off. What? Face off is perfect. Face no one's off. ever well, used there's, that. There's the point where he says, that's my child. That's my property. And I really wanted her to turn that back around on him because that's how he sees people. And that was the moment for him to learn that lesson and to bring that back. And she just says, remember me. Right? Yeah, yes. yeah. Like or, oh, she didn't even say witness me. That would have been fine. Say witness me. Yeah. Witness me would have been great. Because it could be like, witness me murder you, you know, like that's, (laughs) that's much better. Yeah. But I do think my favorite is when it's on theme, meaning like the moment where the villain finally gets it and you've wanted it for so long. It should have, I agree with Borba, it should have been something about your child or the nature of property because my favorite one of all time, and now I'm talking about other movies, so I guess I am done is Pan's Labyrinth, man. That's the best thing to hear right before the guy who's obsessed with his legacy. And as they're about to shoot him, Mm. he goes, tell my son. And she goes, he'll never even know your name and shoots him in the head. You're like, that is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to give you the like any, any, I'm not, you're not going to see another second. (laughs) Yeah, we're done here. (laughs) We're done here. And we are. And we are. We're kind of done here. Yeah. Well, All man, I've been me. This has been on the list since day one. I was worried we wouldn't, because sometimes we have the problem where a movie's just good and we can't talk for it. We're like, I don't know, it's just good. What's to talk about? But this was great. Uh, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much, John. Mm-hmm. And thanks for. I'm glad to have you in the guest pool. I hope we can have you back soon. Thank you very much. I would be happy to. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if people do want to follow you and find out what you're up to, you mentioned a Twitter. Uh, you want yeah, to follow me at Borb sauce on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I post occasionally. Um, but yeah, most of the time I just keep my head down at work. So I'm working on stories for other people to get credit for. That's fine. Do that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, maybe one day when it's not a conflict of interest, we'll have you on our video games pod. <laughs> yeah. All right. Looking forward to it. Uh, Abe say good night to the folks. Witness me get the fuck out of here. This has been a Small Beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge giant monster beans if you enjoyed this content module please like rate subscribe or tell a friend about us we love you